Hello, you're listening to Freelance Mum, the mother of all juggling acts, with me, Faye Dicker. And me, Laura Rawlings. It's day we don't quite know what in the midst of week. We're not sure about that either. In the middle of lockdown, that much we do know. And we also know that one thing that lifts our spirits throughout lockdown, and for that matter, outside of lockdown as well, is cake. And here with a lovely good news story throughout lockdown is the wonderful Ali Walsh. Ali Walsh, you're from the local bakehouse and you specialise in gluten-free cakes. And you've been, de- been delivering cakes and lots and lots of smiles uh, throughout Bristol during lockdown. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about your lovely cakey business. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, my business began because... I got celiac disease and I then couldn't eat normal cake and I invented some recipes that made gluten-free cake taste utterly delicious and I like to think no different from a regular cake. In fact, I think it's even better. I'm very conceited about my cakes (laughs) and I decided to leave the job I was doing and start my own cake business. So uh, you make all of that sound easy, Ali. I I was... I was thinking just the same because there's a science about baking, isn't there? And if you don't get it right, it really can go spectacularly wrong. Yes. And this is one thing I wish we could bring back from the 1950s for people today, which is domestic science. Yes. And you, as you say that, Ali, I can hear the teacher's voice in you because I, I know that you are a teacher in a previous life. So did you did you attack um, baking in quite an academic way or did you actually leave it to trial and error? How did you launch into uh, gluten free baking? Well, the baking initially, I just tried to sub gluten free flour for regular flour and it came out with the most awful cakes. Then I had this idea, and it was a terrible idea, that if you put things like mashed potato in cake, maybe it would be, I know, I can hear your giggling, it it was so awful. And I used to sit around with friends and family and say, what do you think about this one? And they'd go, "Mm." (laughs) clearly in pain having to eat these terrible cakes. And then one day just hit upon a, a fabulous recipe of my own, I must say, that completely turned cake making on its head because I had been brought up to do pound of flour, pound of sugar, pound of butter and various eggs. And that would be your cake. The dynamics of doing a gluten free cake are completely different. You can't put in the same amount of everything and come out with a decent cake, or at least I don't think you can. Mm. So that was where I hit the jackpot. Mm. What was the sort of market like then for gluten free products when you started? Well, initially, there really wasn't much of a market, I didn't think. And so I hid it. I used to go out and do stalls on the harbour side in Bristol and put a sign out saying cakes, including gluten free. Ah, And when how long ago are we talking now, Ali? That was 2012. So eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now and it must be good and bad for you, really, as someone who's a celiac. We are seeing much more free from foods, aren't we? Oh, I'm so pleased that we are, because when I first turned celiac, it was the 90s. And and can I say when I turned celiac, one can actually turn. So I was a normal kid growing up eating pizza and eating biscuits and so on. And then at the age of 20, something went wrong and I got celiac disease. So in the 90s, 
there really, really wasn't much available at all. The internet wasn't really up and running for most people. I certainly didn't have it at home. And so I couldn't find out much. So you just had to eat naturally gluten-free. So the fact that the free from oil is so prevalent these days and that you expect it to be in a supermarket is fabulous. And what about the changing from one career to the to the brand new one? That was so weird because I was used to someone else telling me what to do. I was used to bells every 50 minutes. I was used to parents and line managers. And suddenly it was me and a laptop. <laughs> Just make it happen. And, and the worst thing is the salary. I mean, I, there are lots of wonderful things about starting your own business. But I didn't quite appreciate that you'd need what's called a PSB, i.e. a personal survival budget, for at least six months, if not a year. And I just kept eating into savings and wondering why I wasn't making any money, not realising that actually that's what most normal business go owners go through. And fast forward, you know, a few years and and let's just say into life before lockdown what would if you can answer this what would a typical week in the local bakehouse look like there are no two weeks are the same but if we're saying generally then monday tuesday is the kind of work that i would do on things like marketing or maybe sending a few emails writing a blog post. I also write for Gluten Free Heaven magazine, so I might write an article or the back page for them. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday tends to be more on the baking side of things because if people are getting married on a Friday or a Saturday, then Wednesday, Thursday would when I be when I bake, fill the cakes, crumb coat, maybe do some chocolate ganache. Saturday I might do some deliveries and then I take Sunday off. Wow. <laughs> Gosh, that is a packed week, isn't it? And quite organised as well. I think you have to be. And I haven't even mentioned, I've just realised I haven't even mentioned any of the media stuff. So sometimes I'll get a call and it'll be from the BBC and they'll say, Ali, we need someone to discuss what happened on Bake Off last night. Are you ready in, say, 10 minutes to talk to, and it might be whoever on, on the morning show. And of course I'll say yes. Sometimes it means racing off to be actually in the studio and other times it's just a quick phone call. And in fact, Laura, this is where you you have, you have instantly remembered um, that you've actually tried one of uh, Ali's cakes on a previous feature on your show, didn't you? Which I think you'd quite, quite like to bring back right now. Oh, I certainly would. Yeah, it was called Cake O'Clock. It was on BBC Radio Bristol. And yes, um, Martin, who was producing my show at the time, gave Ali one of those exact calls. Yeah, Uh, I think we gave you a day's notice, though, just to make sure you also had a chance to bake the cake Um, (laughs) because that was a requirement of the feature. So, yeah, happy days, eh? Happy, happy days. And I can't believe how long ago that was, actually. Um, That's a bit of a surprise to me how many years have passed in between. Like, that's six years ago, which is just ridiculous. But anyway... Time has changed since then. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're back now into like present day. We've heard about your story, your journey into turning celiac, into discovering that actually you could apply your, you know, teaching principles and discovering how to perfect the ultimate recipe, which I did notice you haven't given away yet, um, to, to now in present day into lockdown. You've been bringing lots of smiles to faces, haven't you, Ali? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I am now doing what I have called the lockdown cake. So it's basically the same story from each customer who's contacted me. They will have been 
meant to be have been going to say a birthday and that birthday is no longer happening and they'll be in say New Zealand and they'll say could you take a cake round to my boyfriend who I was supposed to be seeing tomorrow and so they'll pay me to do a cake and then I'll drive over to the boyfriend's and uh, knock on the door stand two meters back and you know say here I've got a cake for you and it's rather nice really seeing people break out into a massive smile Oh. You get to do the big reveal. Do you like stand there, you know, with it on a plate and then lift the top off so they can see it? <laughs> well, I let them. So what I do is I ask them to stand back two metres. I pop the yeah. cake down and then I let them take the lid off. And Slush. Then, yes, I do get to do the big reveal. But the best one I did was last week with a bride. She and her hubby-to-be were meant to be getting married on Friday. And obviously that's not happening. So her family got together and asked me to put rainbows on top of cupcakes. And (laughs) they wanted a poem to go with it. And they wanted me to read it out. So I arrived at the brides and she and fiance stood there whilst I read this poem. And it was so gorgeous. It was about how after the storm, there's a rainbow and that we would celebrate again soon and that their big day would happen. And it was just so lovely. Oh, that's made me want to cry. (laughs) It wasn't even my wedding. And I didn't make it through the poem without a slight tear in our eyes, I have to say. Oh, Ali, that's so lovely. I've got really (laughs) choked up hearing that story. (laughs) It must be so lovely, though, to think that you are bringing smiles to people's faces during a really tricky time. Uh, You know, how, how many deliveries are you doing a week at the moment? Today I did one, tomorrow I'm doing another, Saturday I'm doing four. It's quite a few in comparison to what I would normally do. Because at the moment I would normally be doing mainly wedding cakes. So it's a very different lifestyle from normal, but it is lovely seeing people's faces. How quickly or organically did the lockdown cake kind of emerge? I just I just wonder about the swap round from what you would usually have been doing to what you are actually doing. Did you drive that? Was it led by customers? How did that work? completely customer led but it took about six weeks so initially in lockdown I thought to myself right I'll just have to deal with inquiries from these poor brides who are having to move their weddings and say to them don't worry let's just move your wedding cake to the new date that you find and as long as I can do that date you know that'll be fine we'll just move everything across and then suddenly I went from being quite relaxed to having phone call after email after email. And I think people just started finding me online. I did work very, very hard about a year and a half ago on my SEO. And that seems to be reaping rewards. How did you do that? So I bought a book called How to Get to the Top of Google. And I went through it <laughs> I like love it. a student and did every single thing that they suggested. And initially, I thought it hadn't worked because nothing seemed to happen. But about six months after I did all the stuff, suddenly I got way more inquiries. And the first five or six weeks, I remember taking about £5,000. Wow. Wow. Yes. And that was very different from what I was taking initially. I have to say that when I made that transition from teacher to business owner, I didn't pay myself anything from the business for quite some time. But now I work part time because I have two toddlers. And I make the same as I made as a teacher. Gosh, that's fantastic. 
It is always a very long time, though. We're talking from 2012 till now. It's only been really the last year that I've been able to say that. You must be so pleased that you made that leap, though. Well, I had to because I'd actually been ill and it was as a result of someone bullying me at work and it was horrible. And when I got better, the specialist I saw said, look, you can go back to work if you want to, but that situation is just going to make you ill again. So I actually just went into the head teacher's office and gave in my notice with nothing to go to. And as I walked out of that office, I thought, hmm, <laughs> that's a bit risky. Uh, but obviously, one's health comes first. And so I had to make the leap, really, or be ill again. That's fascinating how you ended up or how you arrived at this particular niche, I guess. It's, it's interesting on lots of levels. One, thinking about how you get found out in a crowded kind of market. So I guess the gluten-free, you're always, are you, do you always do, is it just gluten-free that you do? Yeah, I couldn't do not gluten-free because I can't be around gluten. So it At has, all, okay. So it has to be a celiac kitchen. And yeah. let's say someone used a normal bag of flour in my kitchen, then that would cross-contaminate all my gluten-free products. So I just make sure, and it's always, it's only ever been a gluten-free kitchen because I converted my garage into a kitchen. So it's very nice. That, yeah, it's just fascinating how you arrive at a niche. I'm always interested in that, but also how your own personal experience has given you this this brilliant niche in effect that you've you know worked hard to develop into your successful business. Yeah, I think I've been very lucky. I suppose it's the old adage when life gives you lemons, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make gluten free lemonade. If that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> or gluten free lemon cake, perhaps I should say. Yes, very much so. No, yeah, so I feel very blessed and lucky, but it could have been very different if I'd been a sort of pessimistic type person, you know, oh, poor me. Yeah. Yeah, then it would never have happened. I think that's really great. I agreed, absolutely. And one of the things that I love about what you do, Ali, is because obviously you've got that first-hand experience of having to... um, to to be celiac to not have gluten you've got that instant empathy with your customers so if people have got a a dairy intolerance or allergy or a nut allergy you completely get it um, and are still able to you know give them the cake that they want yeah that's true I think that's really important I did meet someone last year actually who was starting a business And I thought, wow, that sounds like a really lovely business concept. It was to do with children and allowing them to have a dress up centre and it was going to be local. And I was so excited for her. And I said, so um, do you have kids yourself? And she went, no, I know what they're like. (laughs) And I just thought, wait, what? Why are you doing this business then? I think you have to put your heart and soul into a business for it to work. Mm. The things that you obviously life has changed a lot for us during lockdown. Is there anything that you have taken from um, from lockdown that you think will then change your business going forward? Yes, I do. I've made a lot of much smaller cakes because obviously people aren't going out and seeing hundreds of people at a wedding or seeing even 20 people. And the smaller cakes are doing, going down so well that I think those are going to be the cakes that I take forward into the future and persuade people to have a tall six-inch cake rather than, say, um, a, a, an eight-inch. I think they look better. I love the styles that I'm doing now. So, yes, I've learned quite a bit, actually. 
That's really lovely. I wonder if you could do something like a subscription basis, where people like to subscribe to a weekly cake. I think that would be a lovely service to offer during lockdown. That does sound fantastic, doesn't it? I have wondered in the past about going round to offices and saying, right, Friday cake day, that sort of thing. But one thing I have to be quite careful about is being a fox rather than a hedgehog. Have you heard of this concept? No, but I want to. <laughs> So the fox thinks he can do everything and he's got all these tricks and he tries a billion different things. The hedgehog has one thing and that is to curl up into a ball and protect itself and that's it. And apparently we should all be more hedgehog when it comes to our businesses, not try and do a thousand things like I did when I first started, which was stalls on the harbour side, wedding cakes, children's parties, training at corporate events with cupcake designs and so it went on. Apparently, we should just say, right, I do cake and just concentrate on one, maybe two channels getting out there. So that's probably why I haven't pursued anything like subscription boxes, because it sounds like an amazing idea, but it would probably detract from the things I absolutely have to do at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was just reflecting on that and thinking as I, relating it to my own experience, um, and I'm sure many people listening will think about this as well. There are all the things you could do. And it feels like when you start a business, you definitely feel like you just need to try and be everywhere and do everything, don't you? I wonder if that's just an inevitable stage or if some people are more focused. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a really good point, actually. I think some people really are more focused and they may not be the people who've been to university. They may not be the people who got the best results at school, but my goodness, are they good at business? And actually, if you watch The Apprentice, which I do religiously every year, then the people who win and are the ones that are successful post-apprentice, as it were, they're often the ones who didn't actually take higher education. Don't overthink it. Yes, yes, exactly. Because you, you can have all the cleverness in the world, but you may not be able to apply business principles I, one of them, I think one of the things I often fall foul of is um, having a million good ideas. Good ideas are never the problem. Actually making good ideas that make money is a different thing. And it's very easy to get distracted by your own daydreams, isn't it? Yeah, at one point I actually had a big pound sign on a notepad and I kept looking at it every day and trying to remind myself, will this make you money? Because I did so much stuff. I did masses of YouTube videos and it might have helped to raise my SEO and increase my presence and so on. And some of the YouTube videos did really, really well. But I don't know that it really got me any sales. So that's why I think it's good to think about that pound. There's so much. Um, there are so many different pieces of advice in what you said. We could talk about loads of this <laughs> a, a lot more, isn't it? I, again, I, th I think what you say is really interesting. You know, I notice this, especially around lockdown at the moment. I have this feeling, and I'm sure many other people do, is oh, I must be more visible, I should promote more, I should offer this for free. There are so many people offering what I usually do as a paid service for free. And I know many people feel you should just be doing it because that's what you should be doing. But actually, there is a real question. Does this convert to actual sales? And I just think that is such a good thing to remind yourself and not feel like you're not doing a good enough job or you're not being present and out there if you're not across everything like other people seem to um I just yeah, think there's something to think about in what you've said there 
There are lots of people who are very visible. They're very good at doing social media. But actually, if you look at the statistics of where your customers come from, and I've got a really good CRM system that gives me little pie charts of where my customers come from, then the social media ones are very, very thin on the ground in comparison to someone finding you online. So it's much better to spend your time doing search engine optimization, SEO, than it is continually going on Twitter, continually going on Facebook. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that stuff. I do think it's important to have a presence, but it is possible to keep that down to 15 minutes a day rather than the easy scrolling that can take you through hours of time. And exhausting, completely complete drain, isn't it? At the end of it, you think, oh my goodness, I've just gone down a million rabbit holes. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we've all been there. So Ali, as we're approaching the weekend, um, what cakes have you got lined up then? Well, I've got some amazing dark ganache chocolate drip cakes going out, cupcakes for someone who's turning 70, and a vegan cake because somebody, oh, she needs vegan and gluten-free, and she's apparently very depressed in lockdown, not probably depressed, as in just a bit sad about, you know, the fact that her party isn't happening and she's turning, I think, 30 or something, so... A vegan gluten-free cake is coming her way and she doesn't know it yet. Oh, oh Ali, you're like a fairy. So, you are. She's the cake fairy, <laughs> isn't she? Oh, yeah. I think we all need a cake fairy. I love the idea yeah. of that. Oh, Ali, yes, I love that. I really do. Oh, well, listen, Ali, it's been an absolute joy speaking to you today. And I love the lockdown good news stories. They just, they give me the hope and the joy that I think we need to just get us through lockdown at the moment. Even if I can't taste your cakes, just knowing that you're baking them and bringing happiness to other people makes me smile. Well, thank you very much. Very much. Thanks for listening to Freelance Mum. Don't forget, you can stay up to date with all the latest advice, loads of friendly chats and support in our online group, The Mothership. To find out more information, check out freelancemum.co.uk. Subscribe, like and share from whichever platform you get your podcast from. And join us next week as we speak to another expert on an issue that's important to you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.